Hebron. And those two cities are, are there, and they're pretty much put in contrast. And as we look at the Jerusalem we find early in the old, call it the old Jerusalem, it doesn't fare real, real well in comparison to Babylon. Babylon is the one that looks impressive, uh, aside from the fact that Jerusalem has the temple. But when we move on from the old Jerusalem to the new Jerusalem, Babylon becomes a thing of no comparison. An example, we'll talk about pearls. The old Babylon, or the new Babylon, loved pearls. It was part of the jewelry that they, they sought and valued and treasured. The new Jerusalem has this beautiful necklace of pearls called gates. <laughs> gates made of pearls that surround it. And, and it's like Babylon, the old Babylon, or new Babylon would have, would have just... It, talk about the envy, and for Jerusalem, these are, these are the gates, and it's, it's no comparison between the, the Babylon the Great, haha, and the New Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem is introduced in terms of architecture and materials, uh, and maybe that is to emphasize the comparison between this New Jerusalem and Babylon, because the book of Revelation has lots of comparisons, and the cities are one of them. And, and maybe it's what, the, what it's doing. And, and as we look at the description of Jerusalem, the New Jerusalem, if we're thinking uh, critically as we do this, we're going to say, that's just not possible. That can't happen. It can't be. And I'll show you uh, at least some examples of how impossible it is, uh, at least as the world now exists. But it's entirely possible because as much as we know it's impossible today, John also knew it was impossible, right? The, the people of ancient times would look at this and say, that's not possible. That can't be done. It doesn't work. And, and that might be the point of what he's saying, is, is that this is something impossible that God is doing because God can do the, the impossible. But it also may be talking not so much about a physical city, as about the, the city of God is made up of people, and we'll see that too. Now, if, if, if I, I want to, I'm going to approach this message, just so you know, from the position that God is talking about to make up the city of the New Jerusalem. While I say that, if anyone, anyone was to say, uh, you can't, God couldn't make this city physically, I'll argue till you know, there's no more air to argue. Of course God can do it. I'm just saying I don't think that's the point of the message. <laughs> I don't think God is letting us know about the architecture of the future because that's the architecture of the future. It's kind of like, what do I do with that now? Everything in Revelation is here for something, to, something we can do with now, and, and I think he's giving us something like that. So we're going to look at this physical description of New Jerusalem at some of the description of the city as a bride, right, and, and at the glory of God that will be there. Okay, and as we do this, before we even start with that, I want to go to Revelation 21, verse uh, 27, the very last verse of the chapter, uh, and because we find here something that's it's not key to the description of the city, except for who won't be there. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, this is the second. Remember I said there were five, five phrases or five passages that talk about those who, in, in these last two chapters, that talk about those who won't make it into heaven or into the new Jerusalem or into eternity, whatever you want, however you want to describe that. This is the second of those, except it does something different than the first one did. The first contrasted those who, who are on the outside with those who conquer, and this one contrasts those who are on the outside with those who are in the Lamb's book of life. 
And we can see, a, a, call it a synonym, those who conquer, for those who are in the Lamb's Book of Life. And we find this correlation between conquering and salvation. Right? If we are saved, we conquer. If we conquer, it's because we're saved. And we don't want to lose that point. I, that, I put that in almost as a, as a by-the-way remark because it's not the point of where we're going, but, but I think it's important and I wanted to get there. So, the physical description of this city. Let's look at verse 11. Chapter 21, verse 11. Uh, having the glory of God, I'll, I'll read verses 9 through there just, just to get it. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues spoke to me, came and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. So he's describing the city, and he describes it as a, like a jasper clear of crystal. If we look clear as crystal, if we go back to Revelation 4... Revelation chapter 4 is where we looked at the, 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 the throne of God. And it said, one sitting on it like a jasper. And it's describing the glory of God. And jasper in color is, is brown and orange and yellow and red. And so you get this picture of, of fire caught in stone. I remember saying that. I don't know if you remember me saying it, but I remember saying it. And, and you get this picture, this crystallized picture, stone fire, the glory of God, both radiant and, 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 and burning and yet set and solid. And the city is resembling that same image. We, we have this city coming down and it says clear as crystal. And I don't understand exactly how something can, can be clear as crystal and yet Jasper, if you look up Jasper, sorry Jasper, uh, if, you, if you look up Jasper and you look at it, it's not clear, but somehow God, is, it also was going to talk about the gold being clear as glass, and you go, okay, I don't get it, I don't get it, but I'm sure I will, someday it will make sense. Uh, but God is described this way, and that's the important thing to do. Verse 12, the very next verse, and it had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels, and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the Son of Israel. So we have this high wall with 12 gates, three gates on each side, each of the four sides of it. And each gate, in verse 21, uh, says, says it's made of a single pearl. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. And so we have twelve gates, four, uh, three gates on each of four sides, each gate made of a pearl. And, and we, I remember sitting in Sunday school class once, and we were talking about the physical, how could this physically work? How could a pearl be a gate? And we came up with a mechanism where, where the gate is, is hinged on a bar that goes in, and the pearl rolls on the bar. I'm going, okay, because I used to think that was impossible, couldn't be done, and somebody in class smarter than me figured it out. Okay, that works. You could do that. You could hinge. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I'm not saying that's how it works. I'm just saying, okay, that works. Uh, and, and so we, we can work with that. Uh, so it has four, or four gates, uh, 12 gates, three on each of four sides, and each one is made of a single pearl. And then verse 14, it has 12 foundations. Uh, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So 12, foundation, or 12 foundations, and they're, they're, uh, there are 12 jewels uh, on these foundations, right? The jewels are jasper, sapphire, agate, emerald, onyx, carnelian, chrysolite, beryl, topaz, chrysoprase, jacinth, and amethyst. And your, your Bible may have slightly different words for some of these because sometimes it's hard to take a jewel 
in one language and translate it into the correct jewel in another language because, you know, we don't know what they said at that time meant which jewel. One thing we do know, I, I, I immediately thought, I bet those matched the 12 jewels on the high priest's uh, ephod. And the answer is they don't. They're really close. Nine of, nine of them match one for one, and there's three that you go, okay, they don't match, but one of them, when you start looking at how it might also be translated, it matches, but there's still two odd men out, and I don't know what to do with that. Uh, it, it doesn't seem to be the same, but, but either way, the point is there are 12. This is, this is glorious. This is glorious. There are 12 jewels or 12 precious stones represented on these 12 uh, foundations, and it's an impressive building. They're, they're, these are the, so these are the building materials we find in the new temple, the new Jerusalem. Uh, the, the, the wall of the city is made of jasper. The city itself is made of pure gold. Uh, we find precious stones. And were you, O Babylon, ever that glorious? You know, Babylon the Great is what it is called, and it was never like this. And then we have the building dimensions. Verse 16, it's called Foursquare, right? The one who spoke with me, starting at verse uh, 15... The one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with its rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured the wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. So we have these dimensions given for this city. Four square, literally four corners. Okay, it's, a way it's, it's four corners and all four sides are equal. That's a square, right? Uh, it, 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 it's square. The, the, the word is actually uh, tetragonos. And you go, oh, tetris. I know how to play that. <laughs> you know? and, and the word tetris means four. If you look at tetris, if you've never occurred to you before, why do they call it tetris? It's a bunch of collections of four blocks in different designs. And, and hence the word tetris. Now, they wanted to name it four, but they thought it had to be classier, so they came up with a Greek word, okay? So Tetris, you're playing fours. Um, so it's the length and the width and the height, or the length and the width are the same at this point, and it's square. And then we go to verse um, uh, 17, and we find everything is equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which also is the angel's measurement. Uh, let's see, that's not the part I want. Oh, verse, verse uh, 16. He measured the city with the rod, 12,000 stadia, its length and width and height are equal. So it is as high as it is wide or tall. In other words, if Davenport matched those dimensions, we would be a mile high. The city. And I'm going, how does the city go high? And it gets really, really difficult. And because we've already got this description of Foursquare, we come to this cube thing. Now, it's not necessarily a cube. For instance, if you were to say, how high does New York go? You would say, well, I guess to the top of the Empire State Building. But it's not a cube. It's not square up to that point. So not necessarily a cube, if you want to get away from that. Uh, maybe there's just some structures that tall. We start talking about this height. That's going to become really, really awkward. Okay, but the normal picture we have of this building is cubic. So the wall is 144 cubits tall, right? 144 cubits uh, turn out to be about 216 feet, which you could call a 21-story building. And so just for reference, I, I said, what's the, I googled, what's the tallest building in Spokane? Tallest building, I don't remember the name, but it's 280 feet. So the tallest building in Spokane is taller than this wall. Some wall, big deal. No, it's a big deal. It's a 21-story wall. 
right? It's just the wall around the, the outside. That's a big wall for a wall surrounding a city. It's very impressive. But the city is 12,000 stadia long, 12,000 stadia wide, and 12,000 stadia high. And you go, well, I have no idea what you just said. Okay, so 1,378 miles long, wide, and tall. Now, 1,378 miles. No, it's, I'm sorry, 1,380 miles. 1,378 miles is the distance between here and Minnesota. <laughs> or not Minnesota, of, of, uh, of uh, Twin Cities, yeah. yeah the, uh, Minneapolis, thank you, that's the one I wanted. From here to Minneapolis, according to Google Maps, 1,378 miles. So when you talk about this city and its square, you've heard the phrase like, for instance, it's the biggest city west of the Mississippi. No, this city is the west of the Mississippi. That's how, that's how big this city is, far and down, and then go up. You go up, you go, wait a minute, okay, I can picture a city covering that much ground. Right? I can, I can do that. My mind can comprehend that. But going up, let's, let's look at some things. Mount Everest is five and a half miles high. 1,380 miles for this city. Passenger jets travel at what height? About 37, 39,000. Seven miles. <laughs> Seven miles is where the planes fly. 1,380 miles. Okay, you ready for this? This city, this city is three times the size of Alaska. <laughs> it's, I'm sorry, that's, that's still ground size. I'm not, I, I, I skipped that when I was going over. Israel, by the way, Israel, Israel, <laughs> this city, the capital of Israel is 237 times bigger than Israel. <laughs> Okay, and it sits in the, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. This is an impossible city. The ozone layer, right, is only, it starts at six miles up, and it goes up to 30 miles. 1,380 miles. The, the, I, I, I just looked at the layers. Uh, the, the ozone layer starts at six miles up. The stratosphere, right, you talk about into the stratosphere. Is that out of the Mary Poppins song? Uh, to the, anyway, anyway, stratosphere peaks out about 20 miles out. Uh, beyond that, there's something called the mesosphere. It goes to 31 miles out. Beyond that is the thermosphere, goes to 250 miles out. And beyond that is simply space. So 250 feet up, it's in space, and it goes up another 1,130 miles. <laughs> you go, wait a minute. This, this building, well, the moon, just in case you want to know, the moon is uh, 240,000 miles out, so we're really not that impressive yet. Okay, when John Glenn orbited the Earth, when John Glenn orbited the Earth, the farthest out he got was 162 miles. He was closer to the bottom of the city than the top of the city, <laughs> right? If he's driving, if he's flying, he goes, Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> Yeah. Houston, do I go left or right? Because I can't go up. <laughs> He's not going to clear it. It's, it start, we start to grasp this city. This is an impossible city. It can't possibly work. Well, the first answer is by human standards and by the current laws of physics, it can't work. Okay, now, is God limited to human standards and the current laws of physics? 
Could God change physics in a second if he wanted to? Sure. And God can do this. And by the way, it says the new Jerusalem descended. In other words, they didn't start at the ground and build it up. How'd you like to put the scaffolding together for that? <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't start at the ground and build it up. He built it and brought it down, right? And so there's not a problem like that. This is a, clearly a God-made thing. But uh, God could do that, but I think there may be another point to what he's saying here. There may just be another point to what he's saying. And let me start at the start of where we were. Start at verse, verses nine, verse 9 of chapter 21. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the last seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, By the way, he described I, this is just I think this is for the benefit of this angel. You know, this angel is identified with bringing the seven last plagues, the bowls of wrath that destroyed the, the, the earth. And, and it allows him to be demo, uh, associated with something pleasant. <laughs> you know, he's not a bloodthirsty, vicious angel who loves destruction. He was simply doing his job, and now God gave him as a reward a nice job. Hey, you, you know, I know this was hard for you. You didn't like doing that blood and gut stuff, so I'm going to let you deliver some good news for me. I, I don't know the real reason why he did it, but I like it that he, he identifies the angel this way. Uh, this angel is a good guy, okay? Uh, anyway, but the main note is, 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 it, is it goes on. It says, uh, what does this angel say? Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And then this city descends. Okay, who is the bride of the Lamb? It's the church. It's the church. It's not a building. It's the church. And so this building, this, this, these, for all the description of this building, he's talking about the church, the people of God. And so while this may be an actual building, I don't know about, how many of you want to live 700 miles up and 300 miles in? <laughs> it's like, what? It's not a great sales job. If, 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 this is the, if this is eternity, I don't know if this is the great way, greatest way to make us real excited about being there, if, if that's what we have. I think, I think he's describing something else. He says, I'll show you the bride. John sees a city. And God has not betrothed himself to a city. He has betrothed himself to a people. And, and, and I think the description of the city as a bride gives us a hint of how we're supposed to look at this passage. Although all those firm descriptions make it really hard to walk away from an actual building. And, and I'm not going to say there's not going to be, but I think what we're seeing, and le let's look at what it means if this is the city of God, uh, if it is the people of God. Okay, the description of a city, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 9, our, our scripture reading for today was picked with this in mind, right? Uh, we are building blocks in, 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 in the, the body of Christ. Uh, verse 4, chapter 2, 1 Peter. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Uh, so the honor is for you who believe, not is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And we find them outside the city and we are inside the city when we go through this passage in Revelation 21. Uh, and, and we are building stones. Revelation 21 verse 12 uh, tells us this. 
Um, it had a great high wall, the 12 gates and the 12 angels, and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. And so each of these gates is associated with one of the tribes of Israel. We go on to verse 14. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And we find the, 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 the walls of the city associated with the, the, the apostles of Jesus Christ. And so we have these descriptions gone with them. The number 12, there are 12 gates, there are 12 foundations, there are 12 tribes, there are 12 apostles. Uh, it's, it's not hard, it's, it, it, if, if this city is not, uh, if, if the terms of the city are not representing a people, it's still representing the people. <laughs> you know, it, it, the, the, the building, either the description is representing the people or the building is representing the people. It's representing the people. The city is laid 12,000 stadia square. Not 13,000, not 11,000, not 11.5. It's 12,000 stadia square. The walls of the city are 144 cubits high. Now, if by any chance you went to Catholic grade school and had the nuns drive this into your brain, you immediately look at 144 and you go, oh, that's 12 times 12. If you didn't, maybe you didn't know that. Should have gone to Catholic grade school, okay? <laughs> but 144, everything here is built on 12. Everything here is, is built on the 12. Both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, the, we find these human founders and leaders of the people of God divided into 12s. And they are the basis of this city. They are the foundation of the city. They are the means of entry into this city. Right? How do we enter into the city of God to become the people of God? Because only the people of God are allowed in. Well, through the gates, over the foundation. There is no other way. Right? In, in 1 Corinthians 3, it says, For there is none other foundation laid than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And we find these 12 foundations here. Well, Jesus is the foundation. Uh, the, the apostles build and present that. They are the basis of this city. The 12 gates, the only ways into this city, verse 12. Uh, it had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates are 12 angels, and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the 12 sons of Israel were inscribed. How tall is the city wall? 144 cubits, 200 and however many mile, or feet, I don't remember, 21 stories. You know, we, we see on the news every now and then, they call him the human Spider-Man, the guy that climbs the wall of the, of the skyscrapers, and apparently people can do that. I don't care if you give me eternity. I can't do that. <laughs> okay. The point is, is there's only one way into this, this building. It's through these gates. Through these gates. God, God has presented to us through these human beings. And as we come through those gates, we enter into salvation. Right? They are, he is the way. He is the only way. These are the people of God. Okay, the pearl. Matthew 13, 46 is the parable of the pearl of great price. Uh, you're probably familiar with it, but I'll read it to you just in case. Matthew chapter uh, 13, verse 46. It's just a one-verse parable. I'll, two verses, I lied. Okay. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Interesting thing about pearls. Did you know that pearls are only mentioned ten times in the Bible? The entire Bible, start to finish, you only find ten mentions of pearls. Three of them are in the description of the Babylon the Great. Wow, that's interesting. Revelation chapter 17, verse 4. 
The woman. This is that icky woman. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of the abominations and impurity of her sexual immorality. But she's adorned in pearls. Pearls are of value to these people. Uh, we go on to chapter 18, verses 11 and 12. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn for her, since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargoes of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of it, it goes on and on. Chapter uh, 18, verse 16. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels, with rich and with pearls. Pearls were obviously something that Babylon the Great valued greatly. Right? Babylon the Great sought pearls, but you know, the, the person of wisdom sold all that he had to get the one great pearl, the pearl of great price. Right? Uh, but there's pearl. You can, you can be satisfied with pearls. You can say, I want those. They're valuable. I like them. And why? Pearl, a pearl is great. You know, the nice thing about jewelry is it keeps its value. You know, it's, it's like. If you, whatever, as inflation goes up, that jewelry goes up with it, and so it keeps its value. That's cool. Invest in jewelry. Don't, by the way, never take investment advice from me. <laughs> you know, you should look at the wealth of the guy who's giving you the advice. <laughs> so don't take investment advice from me, but if I was wise, I think I'd invest in jewelry. I don't know. I think that's why the Indian people, the native, you know, the Asian Indian people are, are so big into jewelry. It's, it's their wealth. It's how they, they keep it. But, but these people in seeking, these people who don't have Christ, in seeking value, in seeking what they aspire to, they, they aspire to the jewelry of this world when they should be looking for the jewelry of eternity. And we have those pearls that, the, that we enter through the gate of Jerusalem, and that is the pearl. It's inscribed with the names of, I forget if that's the apostle, I cannot keep track of which is the apostles and which is the the, the um, tribes, but but uh, the pearl is, is the, the tribes. Um, there's one pearl, right? The tribes are, are presenting the pearl, but, but there's one pearl. There's 12 foundations, the 12 apostles. The apostles in, in the New Testament are, are acquainted or, or uh, identified with giving us the writings of the New Testament. When we say, you know, do we have apostles? Yeah, we have apostles. They gave us the scripture. When we read the New Testament, we're reading the apostles. We may not see all 12 apostles being writers of scripture that we have, but we call it apostolic. It, is, it has authority, apostolic. These were the messengers of Christ, the teachers of his people, the writers of the New Testament on which we base our beliefs. If our beliefs are true, we do not impose them on scripture. We pull them out of scripture. We find them in scripture. We say, this is what I believe because it's there. And if, you find, if, you, if, you, if you've always believed something and as you're reading the Bible, you find something that contradicts what you thought you, what, what you've always believed, then you better think about changing your beliefs. I mean, don't do that lightly because there may be other scripture that, you know, illuminates things a little better. But, but if your beliefs are contrary to scripture, then change your beliefs because it is scripture that is right. It is the foundation. We are not the foundation. John and I were talking this week about, about a guy who know, he knows who was saying, well, you know, the, we, we know the Bible has errors. We know it has is, is got these things, and so I don't accept this part or that part. Well, the foundation of his belief is what he will accept. 
I don't care what you will accept. What you accept does not make something true, no matter how much people today try to say it does. <laughs> scripture is the foundation of our belief. Our beliefs are based on scripture, not on man's opinion. Not on what man thinks is possible in a city. <laughs> Whether it could be 1,380 feet tall or not. I just picture poor John Glenn <laughs> trying not to hit that city. <laughs> I don't know how well that thing steered, <laughs> but I think he was just ballistic, you know, <laughs> and he's going to go splat. Um, poor guy. Um, hope he had an ejection thing. Anyway, um, these people, they're not the foundation in the sense that Jesus is. For there's one foundation laid. Uh, none other foundation that can be laid other than the one that is laid, which is Jesus, right? He is the foundation. All our salvation is in him. But they are foundational for our faith, okay? Um, and we then become living stones that are built upon the foundation that, of faith that is provided. And that's what we find in, in 1 Peter. We are living stones. We should be building up each other. You know, how many of you can look back in your family and say, I had that godly grandma or my godly parents or my godly, you know, these godly influences. Now, not all of us can, can say that, but many of us can say that. And what are we saying? And, and, and someday we're going to be living and they won't be anymore, right? We are built on their foundation. And other people should be built on our foundation. Right? As long as until Jesus Christ comes again, we should be the kind of people that God can build other people on. And as we look around Christianity today, we go, boy, there are a lot of people out there not worth building on. There is nothing in their true, their beliefs or their life that you could build on and trust. Right? Trust to be true. We need to be those kind of people. And that's what we find here in this city is a city made of people built upon each other. And, and, I, and I don't want to entirely spiritualize this because uh, I, if I say this is only people and not a physical city, then if I get to heaven and there's a city and God put me 600 miles up and 300 miles in, <laughs> going, <laughs> it's like, you know, I, you know what I thought about? I thought about elevators. <laughs> elevators, and you, know, you talk about an express elevator and how fast it moves, and it's like it still takes you seven days to get to your building, your, 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 your condo, and it's like, man, I don't know about this. Uh, anyway, I told myself I'm going to be a good guy and not make fun of what it would be like to live in that thing, but <laughs> some of it comes out. I don't know. I mean, I think, I think if, if that's what it is, God will have a way to get us to our place. Right? I don't think we'll be worried about it. Uh, I, I trust God completely. Right? I'm not, the, details, the details that today we say are impossible or difficult or extreme are irrelevant. We're talking about God. And, and so all those details, God is the builder of this city. This city is not built by man at God's specifications. God brings it down. So, so it can be a real city. But then we, we look at the city and we find that God is the glory of the city. Verses 22 through 26, or 22 through 25. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord. 
God and the, Al the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day. There will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. Right? No temple. You know, th what, what does the temple do? It points to God. It represents God. When we, and we know God is with us, but, but he's going to be with us different. I don't, I mean, what's it, what, what does that mean? I don't know, but I know. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, but I know it's true. He will be with us in a way that we don't need a temple to point to him, to illustrate him, to help us to understand him better. He will be with us. Right? God himself will be the temple. The, the, the point of a temple is, is, is utterly irrelevant. It is unnecessary. There will be no sun or moon. Why? Because they're irrelevant. Uh, they're just not important anymore. God's glory will be our light. And the gates will never be shut. Which is really fascinating when he goes on and talks about uh, nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Well, if the gates are open, why can't those people come in? Once again, I, I don't know a physical reason, but there's a very practical reason. They are not part of the body of Christ. And this city represents the body of Christ. It represents God's people, and they're not there which says a lot about how we're supposed to be, by the way, but that's the sermon of a couple weeks ago. Uh, they will never be shut, and, and only what is good and pure will be there. So the Jew of Jerusalem, it may very well be a physical city. I'm def I am not going to stand here and tell you what God can and cannot do, right? <laughs> I'll, I'll, let me put it this way. God can do anything. Except there is a list of things God cannot do. I can't tell you that. God cannot lie because the Bible says God cannot lie. God cannot deny himself because the Bible says God cannot deny himself. Beyond that, I'm not going to tell you what God can and cannot do. Uh, so he can do it. Uh, but I think we want to not just look at the archaeology or the, ar the architecture of things. The New Jerusalem is the body of Christ. By human thinking, by human thinking, that city is no more impossible than my presence there. Right? Uh, Jesus and the, and the apostles, right? Uh, it is easier for a rich man to go through the eye of a needle than to enter into heaven. Lord, then who can be saved? With God, all things are possible. Not that we, I know of God you know, sticking camels <laughs> through the eye of a needle, but God has saved rich people. God saves sinners. God takes people for whom it is impossible. For that description, anyone who does what is detestable or false, nothing unclean. Wow. You know what? Right there it told me I can't go in. Right there it told me I can't go in. But then he says only those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And right there it says, oh, yes, you can. It's impossible. It's an impossible city, but it's a real city. Right? Whichever way it's a real city, it's a real city. Uh, and so we praise God that what is impossible for man is possible for God. And I think maybe that's the message of this impossible city that we find here. Let's bow in prayer.
Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you that you can do what is impossible, that you came here to do what is impossible, that you save sinners. Lord, I thank you for eternity in this new Jerusalem. Uh, whatever that means, Lord, uh, we praise you knowing it is good and awesome and fantastic and real. We thank you that you have done this for us. In Jesus' name.